series on heaven. We're going to do this from a little bit of a different perspective today. In fact, that's the key word for today. It's the secret word. So um, when I say perspective, no, we're not going to do that. Um, But perspective. Perspective is something that's really interesting because it's important in the Christian life. And yet we don't talk about it very often. We we tend to think, um, well, if if we just do the right thing, if we read our Bibles, if we go to church and we say all the right things and we do all the right things, then it's all just going to kind of work out. But the Bible seems to say that where we set our hearts and our minds, so the perspective we have on life is going to be the driving force behind our lives. That we need to, as we read in Colossians chapter 3, set our hearts and our minds on things that are above, seeking the things that are above. And that's a perspective issue. And so as we've been going through this series on heaven, we've talked about how we often don't think about heaven enough. And we we often think of heaven as this place that we'll get to when we die, but that this is kind of this is kind of what we get. And then heaven is that, oh, we made it type of thing. But I want you to understand this, that heaven is a destination and we are a destination people. We've been talking about that for the past few weeks, that there is a place we are headed to. And that place is not just clouds where we sit around in diapers playing harps. That place is something very real. That place is a a place of great joy, a place of great love, a place of perfection. And, And yet, even when we pass from this earth and we go to be with Jesus, even then, until the day that Christ returns and makes all things new and he fulfills everything and everything culminates in his ruling and his kingship until the curse is completely broken and done away with as we sing at Christmas time, which is interesting because it's not a Christmas song. We sing joy to the world. You guys know the song joy to the world. No more let sin and sorrow that that's a Jesus is returning moment. Okay, there's no more sin. There's no more sorrow. There's no more thorns infesting the ground. All of those marks of the curse are gone that we're longing for in the day. So even if you were to pass today to go to be with Jesus, you would still be waiting for that day. We see pictures of the martyrs saying how much longer until everything is made right. How much longer until you punish the wicked? How much longer until it's all done? And he says, wait, just a little bit longer. Wait, just a little bit longer. In fact, he says there's more people who have to die for the gospel. So every time I think of heaven, I think of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted around the world for the gospel, who are dying for the gospel. Perspective, when we begin to set our hearts and our minds on this place where Christ is seated in the heavenlies, then we begin to see earth and our life here in a different light. And so that's the goal of us looking at heaven. It's the goal of us looking, not just so we'll learn something, but so we'll long for it. We'll long for it like it's home. You know what I'm talking about, right? When you go on a long trip, we're going on vacation this summer. Vacation for me, I'd much rather it be I walk into my house, I turn off my phone, I lock the door, turn off all the lights so nobody knows I'm there, like hide the cars, you know, that sort of thing. Nobody knows I'm around. And that would be great vacation, but we're going to drive like 3,000 miles. So, yay! I'll be so relaxed the whole time, you know, that sort of thing. But, you know, you you end up going someplace in about day four. You're realizing rest isn't all it was cut out to be because why? You don't have your bed. You know what I'm talking about, right? You don't have your pillow. I take my pillow with me. So I have my pillow. I'm one of those weird people. I like to sleep with a fan. How many of you like to sleep with a fan on? It has to be blowing. It could be 12 degrees outside. We lived in Kansas City. It was negative 12 degrees. I have a fan blowing in my face at night. Okay. I have to have a fan blowing in my face. Well, you stay in a hotel. Guess what they don't have? That's just dumb. Raise your hand again if you like to sleep with a fan. Okay. That's enough of us that they should have fans in hotels. Agreed? 
Everybody with me? Okay, right. So I want my fan. And, and so I'm one of those weird people, like I walk in, I go to a conference or something, I'm going to stay in a hotel. I carry a fan with me if I'm not flying. Like, I'll walk in with a fan. Now, you know, that's, it's just bizarre. You run out of Q-tips on the road, and that's horrible. You know what I'm talking about, right? And you have to borrow somebody else's Q-tips, and they're never the right kind of Q-tip. Is it, everybody with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? Or do you understand what I'm saying? Like, home is a place where you just long for. Okay, we'll do it this way. Guys, it's Father's Day. Here you go, guys. Remote controls. Right? You go to somebody else's house, or you're even in the hotel, and you're trying to watch TV. You don't know what channels everything's on. And on top of that, you've learned your remote control. It just fits perfectly into your hand. Right? And you know where every button is. My wife, I hand the remote control to her. And then she wants to change channels. And I'm like, what are you doing over there? Just like solving a riddle or something. And I, it could be dark. I could be blindfolded. And I know where every button on the remote control is. That's why we don't give up the remote control, ladies. It's because you don't know how to work it. It takes too long. Okay? But when you go to somebody else's house, their remote control is different. Their channels are different. It's just, it's not home. I want to be home. I long for home. And it's so great when you get in. And I love my wife for this. She cleans the house before we leave. So we come home and the house is like spotless when we walk in. And it's, ah, oh, it's relaxing. It's home. It's the place where we belong. Why don't we think of heaven that way? Why are we so invested here? Scripture tells us really plainly that where our treasure is, there our heart lies also. So why are we investing here? You want to care about heaven? Randy Alcorn puts it this way. Start buying stock in heaven. Start storing up your treasures there. So over the past couple of weeks, we've talked some about rewards. Store up your treasures there. There they aren't destroyed. The rust doesn't get to them. The thieves don't break in and steal. Start investing. Start buying up stock in heaven. Look at it as home. Not just a place we're going when we die, but the place we go to actually live. Did you catch that? Heaven is not a place we go when we die. Heaven is the place we go to live. Because that's where real life is going to happen. This is just the testing ground. This is just the proving ground. This is just the place where we get a taste. There we get the real thing. When will we begin to look at heaven that way? When we get that perspective, it changes everything about the way we live here. And I want to focus on one aspect of that. And so, strangely, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's not even a wedding, but we're going to read it. And we're going to read it because of what it says about love. We're also going to read it because of what it says about eternity. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'll ask you to follow along. And actually, if you'll go back up one verse to the end of chapter 12, I think you'll see something profound that often is not read and often is missed. Okay, it's at the end. Maybe it's even a little separate in your copy. You see that phrase? It says this. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Oh, if we could think of our life in Christ and obedience to Christ and the destination of where we're going as a more excellent way. It's what Paul is demonstrating is a more excellent way. Look at 
chapter 13, beginning with verse 1, it says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Dads, you understand this. Okay? This is what it is. It's your kids. It's my kids. It's that I have five minutes of peace. Right? And they want me to see everything. And as a dad, we should be saying, oh, that's so sweet. I love you so much. But instead, we're like, seriously, five minutes is all I'm looking for. Like, give me three. I'll give you two. If we, if you just, you know what I'm saying? It's even when we're self-centered, even though we could be the best dad in the world, when we begin to focus on self, what happens? Even love being shown to us, we can't comprehend as love. We just find it annoying. Okay. And here we are as people. You could be the the most learned person, the smartest person on the planet. But if you don't have love to God, it's just a bunch of pots and pans being clanged around. When I would stay with my grandparents, I always had to sleep on the couch. The only problem was my, uh, my grandpa got up at 5.30 every morning to cook breakfast. And I was always staying with him over the summer, like for a couple of days and when you're a teenager, 5.30 in the morning is not a time you should be seeing during the summer. Agreed? Just, that's ungodly. That's, there's nothing good about that. But he would go in, and my family is a lot like Joanne's family, and that is that there's no way to do anything quietly, evidently. Evidently, the pan that you need is always the one on the bottom. And uh, that's the way it was every morning. I, I just couldn't understand it. You cooked eggs yesterday in that pan. Why did you put it back on the bottom? You knew you were going to cook eggs with it again. Just leave it out. You know, we're, we're okay with that. But instead, he has to move everything. And it would wait. that's what it sounds like to God. Is that, are you serious? And I, I want you to understand that. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging, clanging symbol. If I have prophetic powers, I can speak truth and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have. And remember, we were talking about rewards over the past couple of weeks. These are things that you get rewards for faith, giving all you have. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, even being a martyr for the Lord, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is at the root of who we have to be in Christ. If we're going to gain rewards. Love is at the center of who we must be. Our faith and our action flows from love. And then he goes on to explain what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. In fact, I would say if everybody in the world who is a believer and claims Christ would just go in their Bible and highlight one phrase, the world would change and churches would be transformed. You want to know what phrase it is? It does not insist on its own way. Imagine what would happen. If we got that and we begin to live that out, all of us. Imagine what that would look like. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. See how faith is rooted in love. Hopes all things. Our hope is rooted in love. Endures all things. Love never ends. 
As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. All right, Father's Day moment for just a second. Here's your application, dads. You ready? Stop acting like a kid. I'm not talking about silliness. We all need to be silly with our girls. Last night, my girls gave me lots of little presents for Father's Day. Carissa likes to call it Father's Day Eve. I kind of like that idea. Um, So she comes in with the bag and says, Happy Father's Day Eve. And uh, we begin to open these presents. And they were at the Relay for Life a couple of weeks ago. And they painted horseshoes, which makes so much sense for me because I have a horse. And... uh, I don't have a horse, by the way. That was sarcasm. But they made horseshoes for me, and they painted horseshoes for me. And um, and so when she brought them up, I had two horseshoes, and they were on strings. And I was like, I have no idea what to do with these. So what does any good dad do? Wear them as earrings, right? You loop them over your ears, and you carry them downstairs. And you, Silliness is great. I'm not talking about don't be silly with your kids. I'm talking about don't be childish. And I want to make sure you understand what childishness looks like. Here, here's, here's your clue from the text. You ready? Not being patient. Not being kind. Envying. Boasting. There's a kid in Chris's class. He's the coolest kid in school, according to him. Actually, I think it was Kess's class last year, wasn't it? He's the coolest kid in school. Because he runs fast and he has a fast go-kart. Don't be like him. Childishness is arrogant, rude. Nobody here has kids that have been rude, do you? No, never. Never would a kid be rude. It insists on its own way. Me, me, mine, mine. But mommy, but daddy. Childishness is irritable and resentful. Childishness is rejoicing at wrongdoing. Doesn't like the truth sometimes. I want you to understand that we're called to be more than that. When I was a child, I thought like that. Now that I'm grown, I think differently. And I put away childish ways. I need the love that endures all things that never fails. So how do I do that? Well, there's a really important word in Scripture, and you can underline it in verse 12, right there, the first word. Some of you may have because... Some of you probably have four. It's three letters, four, right? Okay, what do we have here? It says, I gave up childish ways. Why? That's what we're dealing with. And this is the answer. Why did I give up childish ways? For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why do I put away childish ways? Because I understand that now is just a partial reality. Then is the full deal. Now I see with blurry eyes. Then I see clearly. We're going to come up with our own word for this. Okay? Dim-faced. Everybody can use that one if you want to. I liked it. It just came out of my mouth in first service and I liked it so much that I just kept using it. Dim face. Look at what it says. We see dimly, right? 
darkly now, then face to face. So here's here's the issue. Because we live now, I look at you, you look at me, and you just look dim-faced to me. There's like a shadow between me and you. I can't see your love, and you can't see my love fully. Why? Because our sin nature is still at war with our new nature in Christ. Love is never going to be fully patient and kind. Love is never going to be fully selfless. I'm always going to be in it for me. And you know that, don't you? And I know that about you. So it's hard to trust you, isn't it? It's hard to trust me. So where's the mistake? What have we done wrong? What we've done wrong is this. We simply look at today instead of looking at what Scripture tells us, which is there's a now and there's a what's going to be. Now I see in a mirror dimly. Then face to face. If we were people who would focus on the then and we'd be able to see now more clearly. Does that make sense? That's perspective. If we understand what's coming, then we'll be able to see things more clearly today. That's why we're told to set our minds to seek the things that are above. Because our life is hidden with Christ in God. Our life isn't here. This isn't home. So let's set our hearts and our minds on things that are above so we can see the things clearly of today. So here in this passage, we have some very clear things that are going on. There's a now and then there's a then. Now we see dimly. Then we see face to face. Now we're striving for love. Now we're seeking love from people and from the world. Then we will experience that love fully. Then we will see that love in action. Now we question everybody. Then we're going to know. You catch that from the passage? Now everything's a question, isn't it? Remember when you were dating? For those of you who remember, remember when you were dating and he said something that was just idiotic? Anybody? Remember that? I know every woman here who's ever dated any guy can say he said something idiotic. Okay, raise your hand if you're... Yeah, my wife is the first one with the hand up, so that's good. Yes, okay, so you begin to question... We, we talk to people all the time. We counsel people all the time where women come in and say, I can't believe he did this and I can't believe he said that. And I want to go, how could you not believe he would do that or say that? He's a man. He's dumb. He deals with sin in his life. Have you never done anything wrong or said something that you didn't mean? How can you be so surprised? And they go, I just question if he really loves me. Well, Okay. Question if he really loves you. He probably loves himself more than he loves you. You're probably right. But if you're seeking love from him to fulfill you, guess what? You will fail. You will be severely disappointed for the rest of your life. Because the only way we can love, like 1 Corinthians 13 says love is, is if it's a fruit of the Spirit of God who loved us first. It is impossible for you and for me to find love on this planet and in this life that would ever fulfill us. Take that as dating advice. Take that as marriage advice. If you're seeking love in your spouse that should only come from Jesus, no wonder your marriage is failing. You can't love unless he loves you first. Change your perspective. 
right now, some of you in your marriages, some of you men don't feel fulfilled in your life. And that's because you're looking for other people to fulfill you. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your job. And I want you to know that every single one of those people is standing between you and Jesus. Does that mean you just get rid of all of them? No, just change perspective and start looking at Jesus. Look at everyone in your life through Jesus. And you'll be able to love appropriately. How do you do that? Seek the things that are above. Start investing in eternity. Start storing up for yourself treasures in heaven, not on earth. Dads, your kids will never fulfill you. Ever. They will fail you. I am living proof of that. I failed my parents left and right. Praise the Lord, my dad still loved me. I ask a question about my mom sometimes, but my dad loved me <laughs> tremendously. I praise the Lord for that. He forgave me when nobody else wanted to forgive me. He would show me grace when no one else wanted me to show me grace. He would talk to me about things that nobody else would talk to me about. He helped me deal with things that nobody else even knew about. My dad was faithful to me in that way. But if that's all I had, guess what? Two years ago in April, that's gone. That's gone. If the only love and fulfillment I could find was in an earthly father. I don't have it anymore. Not only that, I don't have someone that I can pour into as my father. Guess what? Praise the Lord that he is a father who will not go away. He is a father who loves us because he's made us. He doesn't love us in spite of who we are. He loves us because of who we are. He made us. Praise the Lord that he, his love is fulfilling. And I don't have to seek it in any way. What I learned from 1 Corinthians 13 is not just what love's supposed to look like. I learned that I can't love that way until I understand the one who loves me. And his name is Jesus. The second thing I learned from 1 Corinthians 13 is really simple. Heaven is a place not where faith abides, not where hope abides, but where love abides. Heaven is a place of love. Look at what the passage says. Now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. If you go back up, though, all of the gifts are going to pass away. We're not going to need faith anymore because we're going to have sight. We're not going to need faith anymore. I'm going to see Jesus face to face. And faith is believing without seeing. And I'm going to see him face to face. I'm not going to need hope because I'm going to have the security deposit is going to be paid back in full. I'm going to have everything I need in Jesus. I don't need to hope for more. I have his word and then I have him. So what's left? Love. A love that's perfect. A love that binds the Godhead together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit bound together in mutual perfect love. A love that flows down to us. A love that we've experienced in the cross and in the resurrection. A love that we've experienced in His presence with us. A love that we experience through one another and through the church. A love that we can't know perfectly because of sin when we are with Him and we see Him face to face. All of the dim-facedness is gone. 
I don't see anything dimly and darkly anymore. I see it clearly because I see him face to face. I always kind of wondered what it would be like to meet Jesus, right? Anybody ever wondered that? Like, what, were, what would, imagine you were one of those little kids, right? And you lived in a culture where dads didn't love their kids. That was 2,000 years ago. Dads, kids were just a means to an end. That's all they were. Remember, that's why the story of the prodigal son is so incredible, because the dad hikes up his skirt and starts running after his son. Fathers didn't do that. But you would think I was a horrible father if I never played with my kids, right? If I never laughed with my kids, if I never giggled with my kids, if I didn't wear horseshoe earrings when they gave it to me at Father's Day, you would what's wrong with him as a dad? Back then, kids were just a means to an end. So imagine you lived in a culture as a child where you hung out with one of the servants all day and you were looked at as a servant. And Jesus says, don't get in their way. Let them come to me. And you look into his face. Imagine the blind man receiving sight and the first thing he sees is what? The face of Jesus? Pure love looking back at him? I can't understand that without seeing him face to face. And one day I will. And it will be pure love. And I long for that because heaven is a place of love. But I, I get asked the question all the time. What about my loved ones here? Well, I don't know about you, but family reunions and Thanksgiving and Christmas prove that we're not real good at loving each other. Is your family like mine? Like seven hours is max. And then, you know, like you just divide off and you figure out who you're most comfortable with. We're not the only family who's like that. Please tell me we're not the only family who's like that. Okay. The, the fact of the matter is we're not very good at loving one another. Why? Because we're constantly dim-faced. We don't see love completely. Well, what's love going to be like in heaven for us as loved ones? Are you going to have family in heaven? Absolutely. We are. We're going to be who we are. Just better. So yeah, you're going to know each other. So I get asked the question, what about the people who are in my family and the people that I love here? that don't know Christ. Well, let me say two things about that. First of all, get to work. It's the first thing I'll say. Get to work. Stop talking about the weather and about sports and start talking about Jesus. It's the first thing I'll say about your family members who don't know Christ. Get to work. Set your mind and your heart on things that are above and it'll change the way you talk to your family and you'll start talking about Jesus instead of talking about this place as if it's all that matters. Okay, the second thing I'll say is this. If heaven is a place of love where we're constantly storing up treasure for those of us who are in Christ, then everyone who loves Christ as the object of their affection will get everything that they ever loved. And everybody who doesn't love Christ on this earth as the object of their affection and the object of their faith will get exactly what they love. Are you with me? People who go to heaven will get exactly what they love. People who go to hell will get exactly what they love. They don't want to be with Jesus. You know those people, right? They don't care about Jesus. They don't want Jesus. 
And those of us who are there, our love and the feeling of love and the feeling of joy will not be diminished because they're not there, because we'll understand God's justice perfectly. We'll know as we're fully known. We'll understand his justice will make sense to us. In fact, we'll love him for his justice. We'll love him for his hatred of sin because we'll be in a place with no more sin. We'll love him for punishing sin because we know it's the right thing and we'll love him because of his grace and his mercy. We do not enter this world with a blank slate and then build good or bad deeds. We are dead in our trespasses and sins and we will love God for being faithful to punish sin. We're not going to be diminished in our joy and in our feeling of love because some we love here aren't there. But how much greater would it be if they were there experiencing it with us? So if we understand truly love in heaven and that heaven is a place of love and a destination where we're going and that everyone is going to get new bodies one day to experience either the joy and the love of heaven or the horror and the pain of hell, everybody's going to live forever in one place or the other, that this place is just part of the journey. That's life. They don't disappear when they go to hell. They suffer. Then we would stop talking so much about the stuff of this earth and start talking more about where we're going. Because that's what love would look like. Are you with me? Are you following me? That when we understand that love, it will flow out to the people around us. You're going to experience, if you're in Christ Jesus, perfect love in heaven. But we're the only ones who have experienced that perfect love through Jesus Christ that would save others that they would experience that love one day. We're the only ones who know. So you say you love your family members and you want them. Heaven won't be awesome because they won't be there. Get to work. Love them. Love them as God has loved you in Christ. Love them. If we want to experience that love with them, start loving them today from a different perspective. Where your treasure lies, there your heart lies also. So I ask you, where does your heart lie? Do you treasure getting along with your family members more than you treasure Christ? Because it quite possibly could be that they might get angry at you when you start talking to them about Jesus. Might not be as fun as you might think it would be. All of your fears might actually come true. But my question is, is what's happening today more important to you than the truth of what's coming? Today, we see dimly. Then, face to face. Can you trust him? Do you love him? Because he loves you. And he's proven that. He's proven that in the cross. He's proven that by his spirit. And because he's loved us first, we can love one another. We can love one another now. 
Now dimly, then face to face. Now striving and seeking, then experiencing and seeing clearly. Now we wonder, am I really being loved? Then we know. Are you living for now or are you living for then? If we were to just simply do six or seven weeks of studying heaven, that'd be fun. We might learn a lot. But if there wasn't a goal of longing for heaven, it'd be a fruitless exercise. What are you longing for? Heaven is a place of love. It's the more excellent way. And if we're going to pursue heaven, our lives will be marked by a life of love. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today we would be marked by the love that has been shown to us in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you for my dad. Thank you for his faithfulness. Lord, you empowered him when he was weak in his weakness. You were shown to be strong. I'm a living testimony of that. Lord, I thank you for his faithfulness as a father, as a pastor. Lord, I thank you that we can laugh together and I thank you that we can find joy together. But more than anything right now, Lord, I thank you that he's experiencing love in a way that I can only imagine. Lord, I pray for each father here that we would love our children and love our wives and love our co-workers and love the people around us and love everyone we come into contact with with a love that is patient and kind and does not seek its own and doesn't insist on its own way and is not irritable. Lord, help us to lead the way as fathers to demonstrate what your love actually looks like. Not just so that we can be shown to be faithful, but so that we can point others to the reality of heaven where that love is not seen dimly through what we do, but is seen fully and clearly and face to face in the person of Jesus. Help us to long for that. Help us to pursue that. Help us to live a life of love. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.